So last week, we began looking at the life of this man, Ananias, and we are calling him a gospel Sherpa. So the Sherpa are a group of Tibetan people that dwell high in the Himalayas, and many of them are expert climbers, so much so that when people endeavor to summit the world's highest peaks, they look for these Sherpas to hire. The Sherpa comes alongside of them, and they don't just point them to the top of the mountain, but they help them to climb it. And that is what Ananias is for Saul. Saul is in a transition of life that he does not know how to navigate. He's been radically converted to Christ. But if you read Acts chapter 9, in the beginning of that chapter, Saul is on his way to persecute the disciples of Damascus. But by the end of the chapter, Saul becomes one of the disciples of Damascus. Who is the one who came alongside of him and helped him to go over those chasms that he had to cross, to, to help him to get up the steeps that he had to climb in a transition from a life that he was radically opposed to, to now a life that he becomes a part of. And his name is Ananias. He is Paul's or Saul's gospel Sherpa, and we're examining some characteristics that we draw from the, the little bit that Scripture tells us about Ananias, and we're challenging ourselves because Christ told us, go, make disciples. We, we can't just point people to the top of a mountain and wish them well. We are called to come alongside of people like gospel Sherpas, helping them to navigate the chasms and help them to climb the steeps and help them to become disciples of Christ. And I introduced Ananias last week by telling you the six characteristics that we're going to look at in his story. But I want to draw attention to the one this morning, and that is this man has a personally maturing relationship with Jesus Christ. He is growing in his walk with Christ. And notice that the Bible, whenever it introduces him in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, says there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now, I, wanna, I want you to look at that phrase right there, and I want to draw your attention to this. Notice that the Bible calls him a disciple, not a Christian, but it says he is a disciple of Damascus. And words are very important, especially when they are the words of God. Labels are important. They are identifiers. Now, our culture and its moral relativism has eroded the meaning of words. One word can mean one thing to one person. It can mean another thing to another person. There's no objective, absolute truth. And so, in our culture, words become meaningless. But in God's mind, words are meaningful. And so the Bible calls this man a disciple. I, I think you would agree with me that words, identity markers, labels are important. Let me show you three pictures here. And I, this guy on the left, what if I told you he was a professional bodybuilder? Now, you probably look at that picture and you go, now, there may be a bodybuilder down in there somewhere, right? He, he, may, 
he may have a gym membership, right? But if this man is going to actually compete in, in bodybuilding competitions, he is going to win so much that he makes money. There has to be a lifestyle change from what we see right there. What if I were to tell you that this child in the middle, he's a soldier. Now, in his mind, he may be a soldier. He may play like he's a soldier, but no one in their right mind would send that young boy into a firefight because we know that soldiers are trained warriors. They're not trained with plastic toys. They're trained with real weapons. Those bullets that are coming at them are not pretend. You don't, you don't make sounds about those, those bullets with your mouth. They can really take your life. That boy may think that he's a soldier, but we understand that he's really not a soldier. And then this guy right here. Let's imagine you had a pretty serious surgery coming up next week. And I were to tell you, that's your surgeon. Now, you, you can look at that picture and go, man, that's possible. I know some doctors and surgeons, they're some of the craziest people I've ever met. They're fun, you know. This guy's he, he may be super intelligent. He may be a very gifted surgeon. But I want to tell you, before I let that dude start cutting in my body, I want a consultation. I want to know your credentials. How many surgeries have you done like this? What exactly are you going to do? You know, uh, I mean, you got to know that this person actually has their credentials to do what they say they can do. So when someone says they are a Christian, is there any consultation? Is there any questioning of their credentials? Are they just pretending to be someone, or are they really there? If they say they're a Christian, are they living a lifestyle that is actually backing up that claim? You see, the word Christian is one of those words in our culture that has become very eroded. It is subjective, and a lot of people say, well, man, I, you know, I, this is the way I think of a Christian. This is the way that I see a Christian. Let me tell you something interesting in Scripture. Did you know the word Christian is only used in the Bible three times? It's used twice in the book of Acts and once in 1 Peter. And, and, and one of the, the main times, the Bible says that, that there's a group of people, there's a real gospel movement that's happening, a group of disciples, and that it's at Antioch that they're first called Christians. And this word Christian, a lot of scholars say, was kind of like a derogatory term. It was like a slang. It was like you're, you're Christ-ish. You're, you're acting like one of, those, one of those people much like Christ, right? They were trying to make... Uh, the, trying to make fun of them. It's, it's kind of like we would categorize a person as a gamer or a Swifty or a foodie or, or what have you, right? It's a hippie, right? It's, that's, we kind of look at a person and say, you live a life that's characteristic of this. That's what the word Christian was back in the New Testament. And, and here's some interesting stats for you. Pew, Pew Research put this out that in our culture, 64% of people identify themselves as Christian. Now, that number was 90% in 1990. 
But 64% of people identify themselves as Christian. Here's what's also interesting in the same survey. 28% of those who identify themselves as Christian attend church at least once per month. 28%. 57% seldom, if ever, attend church. Only 40% of people who claim to be Christian evangelical believe the Bible is the Word of God. It's kind of like a child with a play gun saying that he is a soldier. The evidence is not there to back it up. Are we just pretending? But that's kind of the way the word Christian is. We just, well, this is what I feel. This is what I think. This is what I subscribe to. And while the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible, did you know the word disciple is used 269 times? 268 of them in the New Testament in 253 verses. Wow. The word disciple is much different than the word Christian because the word disciple has an objective sense to it. It is measurable. It's a word that describes commitment, devotion, dedication. It is a word that would, you would use for a craftsman who has an apprentice who is spending time with that person learning their skill. It is a surgeon in residency. It is an intern learning an industry. They're immersed in it every single day so that they can see how you do it. That's what a disciple is. They follow along. They learn. And so if I were to ask all of you, do you consider yourself to be a Christian? I would say because you're at church today, there'd be way more than 64% of you that would consider yourself to be a Christian. But if I were to ask you questions about your devotion to worship, about your time in the Word of God, about your walk with the Lord, about how you serve Him, And I were to ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus? That puts it in completely different terms. The word disciple is the word like soldier or surgeon. You can't pretend to be those things without dire consequences for people who try to do those things but don't really know what they are doing. The word disciple is verifiable by the life that you live. It's observable. So the Bible is careful to say that Ananias is not just a Christian, but Ananias is a disciple of Damascus. And Saul wants to be what Ananias is. So Ananias comes alongside of him. And we talked about it last week. And this is so important in our call to be a disciple maker. You can't give to others what you don't receive yourself. If, if other people are going to become disciples, you have to be one. You, you have to know Jesus. You have to have conversations with him. You have to be in his word if you're going to help someone else make the climb. 
Remember, we're not just pointing them to the top of the mountain. We're, we're climbing along with them. And so what I want to do this morning is, is take this word disciple that's descriptive of Ananias, and then I want to kind of go to five passages of Scripture. There's a bunch more of these where Jesus defines what it means to be his disciple. You heard a scripture read just a moment ago where he says, if you do these things, you cannot be my disciple. You can't pretend to be my disciple. I will disqualify you myself from being my disciple. And I think that is significant. So five passages of scripture that I think we need to look at and five words that we need to consider that you want to write on your sermon notes, go ahead and write these down. The first one is the word conversion. Conversion. A disciple has a very clear conversion to Christ. Saul has a very clear conversion. Man, if you read Acts chapter 9, you see this guy's on his way to persecute the church. All of a sudden, there's a bright light. He sees Christ. There's a conversation. He's blinded. I don't know, and I've never heard of anybody who's ever had a conversion like that. If you've had a conversion like that, I'd love to hear about it, right? But chances are you probably haven't. But at the very least, we could say this. When a person is converted to Christ, there is an unmistakable reorientation to the rest of their life. They go a different way. They do different things than they, than they did before. I want you to, to look at Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And I know you may be looking on your sermon notes. And you say, well, pastor, it says right here, John chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. I will tell you this morning, John chapter 9, 57 through 62 does not exist. That was a mistake on my part. Luke chapter 9 is right there. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Man, I think a lot of people read that passage and go, wow, Jesus is kind of hard. He's not being hard on it, but he is sending a very clear message to those who dare to be his disciple that there are no valid excuses. There are no delays to obedience. When he calls you to be his disciple, he becomes the first priority. When you are a disciple of Christ, your faith gets in the way of your life. So many times we see it the other way in the church and with cultural Christianity where life gets in the way of our faith. We follow well until there are other things that come up or other things that we see as more important. You, when you are a disciple of Christ, your faith should get in the way of your life, not your life in the way of your faith. I know a lot of you say, dude, you're a pastor, man. You've, you've been doing this church thing. 
every weekend for 30 years. You're absolutely right. And you go, man, you don't get it. You don't get it. I tell you, I get it completely. So Morgan and Kylie were involved a lot in swimming when we lived in Birmingham. And they had a big YMCA league. There's like 15 YMCAs in the area that all competed. They went to some big meets at, at Auburn and Alabama. I mean, they were really into it. And Morgan was a very good swimmer. And she, when we moved to town here, she was uh, going into middle school. And she had uh, times that would already qualify her for the state meet in high school when she was in middle school. I mean, she was she's really good at this. And Coach Todd at Dalton at the time, he wanted us moving to town to, to become a part of the Dalton community and, and let the girls swim there and all that kind of stuff. So, so she was really good at what she did. So Morgan was in the, the city YMCA championship thing. I forget what they call it in, the, in Jefferson County and Shelby County and around the Birmingham area. And she made the championship. And guess when it was? It's on Sunday morning. So we told them, we won't be there. And they just, they're like, what? No, we, we're, we'll be at church. And, and it was a moment in, in her life. It was a moment in our life. It was a moment in, in that community around there to let them know, man, look, we, we will not let life get in the way of our faith. And there is no championship in this world that is worth pursuing more than Jesus. You say, Brian, I, I, I can't believe that you would do something like that. But let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, we have state championships. Then I'll follow you after that. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No excuses, no delays. That's discipleship. Cultural Christianity is about convenience. They claim salvation, but their life never changes. And don't be fooled. You may pretend and say what you are, but Jesus knows exactly what you are. You must repent of sin and place your faith in Jesus to be a disciple, and the direction of your life changes. Your priorities are, are completely different after that moment. Clear conversion. Number two, devotion. Look at John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. Jesus talks about the relationship of a disciple to the Word of God. He says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him. Notice this, they're believing. But He said, if, here's the condition, here's the qualification, here's the consultation, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In other words, Jesus says, a disciple knows the word, they do the word, they master the word. There is an intentional time of being with God in Scripture and meditation to the point that 
I'm doing what God tells me to do. That's what a disciple does. They abide in the Word of God. What is your time in Scripture? Are you just a cultural Christian? Like, well, we have a Bible. You know, we, no, man, a disciple abides in the Word of God. Number three, connection. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. We, we understand discipleship is not just a transaction of information. There is a relationship that takes place in this. So look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also love one another. By this you will know that all people are my disciples if you love one another. There's a relationship there. Ananias loved Saul. He didn't reject him. He didn't keep him at arm's length. He entered into his life and he walked along as he is, is making this transition from conversion into discipleship. There is a connection. You have to spend time with people to help them climb the mountain. We're not just giving them the information about Christ, but there's a relationship. So there's a connection of love in that. The word number four is this, submission. Look at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. You heard this read just a moment ago. I want to read it again. It says that great crowds accompanied him. Man, Jesus could get a lot of people to come and listen to what he said. And he turned to them and said, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Man, you talk about being pushed out of the comfort zone. Ananias is being pushed out of his comfort zone. Remember the conversation back in Acts chapter 9 when the Lord comes to Ananias, he says, I want you to go to this man, Saul, and Saul goes, I know this man. Have you heard of this man? This man is, is a persecutor of the church. He wants to arrest us. He wants to kill us. And God tells him, he is a chosen instrument of mine, right? So Ananias, listen, he has to get through his comfort and he has to obey God's command. Cultural Christians won't do that. It's all about their comfort. They'll do it if they're not busy. They'll do it if they have time. They'll do it if you're not asking too much of them. Man, I, so I've, I've shared this. Man, I ride a bicycle a lot. That's kind of my, my brain and my belly break, right? I, I got to work on my brain and work on my belly, and the bicycle's very good for that. So I ride about four days a week, and I start out at the Murray County Rec out there. And, and when I start, it is an empty parking lot, parking spaces as far as the eye can see. And then there's me. And, and usually in the afternoon, about the time that I finish my ride, we're getting ready for baseball, softball, whatever the sport of the day is. And it is unreal how fast that parking lot fills up with cars. I mean, wow. They are streaming in there. I wish I should have, the other day I saw it, I just should have taken a video of this. I mean, they are flying in there. And, 
And you can tell what time ball practice starts because it's like something 45. And I'm thinking, okay, man, they're 15 minutes early. Dude, people are getting out of their cars. We got our bags. We got our stuff. Man, they're ready. They're on time. They're ready. You got these dads who, man, they got their kids together and they got everything they need to get on that field and be on time, right? Let me ask you this, dad. Did you get your family here to church like that today? Faithful, on time, ready with everything they need. Man, we kind of slide into church, man, right? We'll be there maybe if we don't have a whole lot going on. Hey, I want to tell you, man, if Jesus in this passage, listen to this passage, y'all. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate, he's talking about comparatively, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yet his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Where do you think travel ball fits in that? Where do you think sports fits in that? Man, we sell our soul to this stuff. Where do you think golf fits in that? Where do, you, where do you think the lake fits in that? Where do you think the boat, the fishing, the whatever it is that you do? Man, if, if whatever you do, if that takes precedence and makes the, the priority decisions of your life, Jesus has a very clear message. If it doesn't comparatively look like hate, you can't be my disciple. Man, I love my my dad, love my, my mom, love my wife, love my kids, love my brothers, love my sisters, but they will never come before my relationship with Christ. Because it's not about my comfort. It's about His commands. And so when the Lord comes to Ananias and He says, man, I want you to go to that guy, Ananias, go. He, he doesn't feel comfortable with it, but He goes and He does it, and He reorients His life to the command of God for him. Number five is the word multiplication. And multiplication in a disciple's life happens in two areas. One, it's fruitfulness. John 15, 8, Jesus says, without me, you will not bear fruit and be my disciple. Man, you have to abide in me. You, you have to know me in order to bear that fruit. And the Scripture tells us that that fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's a growing relationship with the Lord. It's, it's love, joy, peace, gentleness, long pace, all the uh, long-suffering, all those things that happen in our life. And he says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. See, again, there's a consultation here. There's credentials here. He doesn't just let you use a name and say there's no growth. I mean, you're growing in your relationship with Christ. There's fruit that's coming out of it. And then there's not only fruitfulness in your life, but there's also your multiplication and you're making other disciples. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll impact your life, and your life will impact other people's lives. And Ananias did that for Saul. 
He didn't just point him to the top of the mountain. He helped to climb it along the way. There was a relationship. There was a commitment. There was obedience, submission, all those things. And so I want to challenge you with this. Ask yourself this question in your heart of hearts. Are you a cultural Christian? Or are you truly his disciple? Cultural Christianity will cost you nothing. Discipleship will cost you everything. And it forces you to make some hard decisions about things. But he lays it out there. Understand, the word Christian was applied first to disciples. Those disciples became people who acted like Christ. Our culture and the church erodes the word. And we just believe we can do and lead and have our family any old way we want to do those things. And Christ is cool with it. I would encourage you, read what he said. You can be a cultural Christian, but if your priorities are out of line, Jesus makes it real clear. You cannot be his disciple. And disciple puts it on a different level. Are you saved? Have you repented of sin to turn to Christ for salvation and faith? Have you reprioritized your life? Is the true north going in a different direction than it used to? Ananias made a disciple. We're called to make disciples. People who are disciples will make disciples. It will just happen as an overflow of their life. They will become that influential to others because Christ is so influential to them. And y'all, I know, man, this is a hard word. It's a hard word. But one thing Jesus does not allow us to do is write our own definitions. He gives us several facets of life where he says, if this is where you are, you cannot be my disciple. You can be a cultural Christian all you want. But if you want to know the Lord and spend eternity with him, you got to take up your cross. You got to make some hard decisions. You got to reorient life in a different direction. You got to be his disciple. And that's measurable, verifiable, evidential. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment? Man, our culture is after our souls to shallow us out to get us distracted, to go a different way, to get us to chase after things that eternally don't matter, but this world tells you they are ultimately important. And I want to tell you, they're not. And so if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ is your Savior, man, you can cry out to Him right where you are. Be saved right where you are. If you're here this morning, you say, Brian, I, man, I know that I'm saved, but boy, I've let some things just really get out of line in my home, and I need to, it's time to 
to reprioritize some things, make some tough decisions about some things. Guys, we can't be more serious about soccer than we are Jesus. It doesn't work. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to open up this altar. If Christ is calling you to come, man, you students, we honor graduation, man, you're about to take a bold step. Your commitment to Christ is about to be really challenged. Come and pray. Families, come and pray over your students. But Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you have given us a very clear call of what it means to, to be your disciple. And Lord, I pray you raise up Ananias out of this church who will come alongside of others and help them to climb the mountains themselves. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together? The Lord is calling you to come.